Greetings, comrades, and welcome back to the Comrade Cast. And today I have, I guess it's going to be an episode that has maybe some improvisation because I had something else planned. But over this last week or so, something random has taken up a lot of oxygen on the old internetosphere, as the kids say. And it happens to really dovetail nicely into what we talked about in the last episode. So it's just the perfect opportunity to talk about something like this. And not only that, I think a lot of people are not understanding the criticisms, or maybe they're deliberately trying to misunderstand some of the criticisms that are being levied here. So I want to try and break some of them down and, and talk about them in maybe a little bit more civil and productive manner and point out exactly the kind of issues that people have. So you probably already know what I'm going to be talking about today, given the fact you have seen the title of the video, which is there's been a little bit of friendly fire over on the left over this past week or so. And it involves people who I, on all sides really, really respect and admire. And I think all the people that we're going to talk about today really do have good interests in their hearts, in their souls. I don't think anyone we're going to be talking about today necessarily is a bad person. And I'm going to be doing my best to make sure that I'm respectful and civil and above board as possible as I can when talking about this issue, because when talking about this event, because again, like I said, it involves people that I do respect and it's pretty recent and there could be a lot of emotions still flying around. So let's try and do our best to let some of those simmer down and go from there. I do want to say that I appreciated a lot of the feedback coming from my last video. I didn't get any people on the left telling me like, oh, you're shitty, you're terrible. How dare you say that, that type of thing. I really didn't expect to at all. The thing is, is that if I did, it would have been, again, like we talked about in that last episode, it would have been in private. Someone would have messaged me. Someone would have come to me and said, hey, I didn't like what you said here. I wasn't appreciative of what you said here. And then we talk about it. And I really appreciate that. And I think one of the things that it's important to do, and we're going to demonstrate this, and this is why part of the issue I want to talk about this drama today, I think it's important to demonstrate that people on the left can disagree with each other. There isn't this orthodoxy that everybody has to adhere to. Some people may think that, but that is certainly not the overall political message of what we stand for. And I also really want to make it clear before I started talking about any kind of issues or problems I had with the left, we spend a good deal talking about issues that I have with the right because there are exponentially more. There is an issue out there where some people will come on and say, you know, they'll come and be like, I'm a socialist. I'm really left-wing. And then they do nothing but criticize other left-wing people. And whenever like right-wing people are brought up, they diminish any potential wrongdoing that they've done. They always seem to be carrying water for them. Very weird phenomena that is. So I wanted to make it very, very clear that uh, that's not my jam. You're probably not going to come away with that perspective today either, because in this case, I do think that the, what you may call like the left-wing orthodoxy is correct and is the correct outlook. But I do think people, including people on the left who are of this opinion, are woefully miscommunicating what exactly the issue is, or what exactly the problem is, and it's allowing this whole thing to get blown massively out of proportion. And part of the reason this is like a bad fight is that it is public in this manner. It is viscerally put out on display. And like I said in the last episode, people on the left don't like to have their disagreements out publicly like people on the right do. 
And so when it does come to this kind of public for, you can tell it's bad. It's not, it's not a good situation. So, so enough beating around the bush. If it isn't obvious what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about my dear sweet Anna and the controversy surrounding her and her recent comments around, um, uh, <laughs> sorry, really, this is so ridiculous to talk about. Sometimes it makes me laugh. Her comments around the term birthing person and whether or not wokeism has gone too far and so on and so forth. So we're going to break down a lot of what's going on. And like I said, really delve into the specific claims and criticisms. But before we do that, I, I want to talk a little bit about my own personal relationship with the Young Turks, because I, like many of you, used to be a very vehement fan of the show and a consumer of pretty much all video content that they put out. And this is a time frame that we're talking now more than a decade ago. But when I was much younger, in my late high school years, in my early university years, I was a massive fan of the Young Turks, and particularly a massive fan of Anna. And hopefully, and my wife probably only watches about 50% of the political videos, so I guess I'll, I'll flip the coin here. Hopefully she doesn't watch this one, but obviously when I was a kid, I had a massive, massive crush on Anna. I thought she was so intelligent. I thought she was the best. I thought she was awesome. However, over time, I, again, like many people out there, have soured in their opinion of the Young Turks. It's really difficult to pinpoint a precise time or anything along those lines when I really started to turn against the Young Turks. But I think it was probably in the 2016 era where they were very big supporters of Bernie. And then despite the fact that he obviously got done dirty in that 2016 campaign, they fell in line relatively quickly and easily with the corporate establishment. They also, during the Trump era, repeated a lot of the criticisms that many people on the mainstream left were repeating against Donald Trump, which frustrated me. There were criticisms in terms of his personality, not in terms of what he was actually doing and what he was actually proposing at the time, which was getting people to actually listen to his message. If you understand what I'm, I'm saying? A lot of people, particularly on the establishment left, like I said, would attack him over personality, which is not the right way to attack this guy because obviously he's got such a big personality and he plays the personality game so well. To attack him on personality issues is just foolish. You have to attack him on policy issues and it was easier in 2020 and it's going to be easier, I think, because he's going to win the GOP primary in 2024. It's going to be easier to attack him on these grounds. But in 2016, he won based on his policy, in my opinion, and being able to espouse a policy that really connected with a lot of downtrodden people in the Rust Belt. And a lot of the reason why people on the establishment left, on the corporate left, weren't attacking Donald Trump on his actual policies is because if they did, they would have to undermine corporate policies, which led to the ruin in places like Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania that led to that kind of decay of industry, they would actually have to confront a lot of these neoliberal establishment types from the 90s, from the early 2000s, would actually have to confront the fact that their economic policy resulted in that degradation. And of course, that would require some amount of self-reflection, introspection, 
and people in power, people in elite positions, not so good at doing that. So none of that happened, of course. It was all, he's a bad guy. He says mean things. And of course, this is all true. But the fact of the matter, that's not going to sway anybody really one way or the other. The people who like that personality aspect about Trump are going to like it. And the people who don't, don't. Anyway, what happened to me during this era is that I really fell off with the Young Turks and a lot of mainstream left-wing media sources because it seemed like they didn't really have their finger on the pulse. And this is where I started turning to, I would say, maybe more alternative left-wing news sources and usually started listening to them. And of course, I started building my own roster of right-wing news sources at that time as well. But it was in that time in particular, I got really disillusioned with the Young Turks. And it was over, I think, Russiagate the most because I, like many people, again, not a fan of Donald Trump, but I could tell that whole Russia thing was a bunch of nonsense, especially as someone who understands a little bit about the Russian state, studies Russian culture, knows the language, knows the history a little bit. It all just seemed like it was total nonsense. And I think a lot of people could tell a lot of people really wanted it to be true, but unfortunately it wasn't. And that was another thing, I guess we really, we didn't really talk about it in the last episode because it's ancient history now that I took some flack for, but yeah, it was during that time that I really started to feel like the young Turks didn't understand how to fight Donald Trump politically, that they were kind of losing their grasp on the left-wing base and on the left-wing policies. And it just hasn't really gotten better since there. It's just been a downhill tumble ever since there. But even after I started losing my luster for the Young Turks, I always really did like Anna, and I always thought that she was the best person on the Young Turks, and she was the one that had the best takes, had the most intelligent things to say, and she also had the most interesting things to say. So all around, I still had respect for her, and I still do, even after what we're going to talk about today. But I just wanted to give my own perspective and background and how I feel and have felt about the Young Turks in the past and how that leads me to the point where we are today. All right, comrades, after spending much time digging around and making sure I've got all my little slides together, we can now finally go through everything that has happened. And here is the tweet which started it all. This is on a couple months ago now. In fact, this is back on March 22nd of 2023. She states, I'm a woman, please don't ever refer to me as a person with a uterus, birthing person, or person who menstruates. How do people not realize how degrading that is? You can support the transgender community without doing this shit. Okay, so this is the first tweet which kind of started the fuse, which started a little bit of, a little bit of fireworks. But the fuse, it seems to be longer than we initially thought. And it has been a slow burn up until the point where we are now. So people started criticizing her from the left for this tweet. And let me tell you why. And let me be very specific and very clear about what the criticism from a left-wing person is about what she's saying. And there are two sort of underlying themes here, which people on the left and me specifically are drawing issue to right now. But before we get to that, I just want to say one thing I really should have said, and I guess it does go hand in hand. And one of the things I said is when you're going to criticize other people on the left, you have to make sure that you're not undermining their values and not undermining the principles that are important to them, because that's just a, a recipe for disaster. And another thing, and this usually goes hand in hand, 
is something you shouldn't do when criticizing the left is give oxygen and give credence to right-wing talking points, which are very easily falsifiable and that people on the left like myself spend a lot of time falsifying as often as we can. So we would appreciate it if you didn't give any more oxygen to them than they needed. So with that being said, that is the first criticism we have, which is she is disagreeing with the left in a way which gives oxygen to false right-wing talking points about left-wing political philosophy. So how is she framing this in a way which gives oxygen to right-wing talking points? Well, I'll tell you exactly why. Because she frames it in a way that this is widespread among the left, that this is a widespread thing that definitely we're fighting for and want to have happen. And two, that it is trying to be enforced somehow through political will by people on the left. And both of those things are completely and totally ridiculous. And we're going to delve into them a little bit more. But that is the first issue in a nutshell. She's giving oxygen to these right-wing talking points with the subtext here of what she's saying. And the second issue is that somehow whatever inclusive term we're going to come up for old people who have the capacity for pregnancy, whether it's birthing person, whatever, we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff. This term is not decided yet. This is still something that's being debated and figured out. So it's not like any term has been decided. The issue is that whatever term you're going to use to be more inclusive somehow invalidates or lessens the term woman, which is completely ridiculous. And we're going to show exactly why that is. And so those are the two issues. And we're going to break them down a little bit more. But let's finish our story about the drama here. So moving on from the drama, here is a humanist report. Mike Figarino, big, another big shout out to Mike, another guy who I really respect and whose work I really admire. So again, we're talking about people all across the board who I have nothing but respect for. And hopefully we can untangle this in a little bit more of a respectful way. Anyway, he says, I respect you a lot, but this notion that the mere existence of trans-inclusive terms rarely used in casual conversation somehow degrades women comes right out of the right-wing anti-trans war on women playbook. There's a reason why they're praising you for this. And that is another issue. All of your kind of right-wing griftosphere ghouls come up and give her nothing but praise, nothing but support for this. And I, I feel like that may have been a red flag. But and let's move on to what she says in response. She says, hey, Mike, you're the guy who has no clue what it's like to have your reproductive freedom taken away. But consider what it's like when some lawmakers who fail to protect your right turn around and call us people with uteruses. It's not inclusive if cis women hate it. Okay, what my issue is, she's coming on really strong against Mike. I think Mike here, like his first tweet, this is like a level one, level two criticism. And she escalates it to level five, which seemed unwarranted. But she's, she's clearly uh, upset about the issue. And I think that's part of the reason why this issue has spiraled out of control is that everybody's escalating. Nobody's trying to de-escalate. Like I said, Mike comes in at a two and escalates it to a four. Someone else escalates it to a six. She comes in at a seven and then it just boils over into what we have now. So in any case, Sam Runin responds, not sure who this fellow is. He responds, so now because some lawmakers fail to protect your rights, you repeat the talking points of those who actively took and are trying to take more of them away. And Anna then responds, I can say and think what I want as an independent person with an independent mind. I don't care what the right or left thinks. 
I've made myself clear as being against policy that harms the trans community, but maybe respect my personal boundaries too. Is that okay? So she can think and say whatever she wants as an independent person. Nobody's trying to tell you what to think, but we're just saying we got some issues with what you're saying. We got some criticisms here. And again, you're coming off as particularly defensive. And that's not, I feel like people, they're really talking over each other here. And I don't know who's to blame, but it just seems like people are really intentionally misinterpreting what's being said. But let's move on to another response here. She says, LOL, the meltdowns over wanting to be referred to as a woman rather than a birthing person is pretty wild. I'll never apologize for that, especially as being a biological woman who has had a fucking lifetime of being told that I'm less than. I'm a woman, no apologies. And I apologize in advance. I'm going to totally butcher your name. I'm going to give it my best. But as people who have been viewing this channel for a long period of time know, it is a long-running joke that my pronunciation is almost always universally horrible. My apologies. So Olayemi Aluren responds with, You made transphobic statements and spent an hour of the show defending yourself from allegations of being a turf rather than addressing the substantive problems with your comment. I said it felt like they were coddling you, and I stand by that. If that makes me a hater, not. Not sure who this person is, and if they're a commentator or if they have a body of work to refer to. But in any case, again, I, I feel like Anna is, is intentionally drawing over the issue. No one is upset over the fact that you want to be referred to as a woman. No one is angry about that. No one is saying you shouldn't be referred to as a woman. No one is saying that that is a bad thing in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. So the issue is A, inferring that there's some sort of problem or cabal of people who have an issue with you being wanting to be called a woman. There's no one who has an issue with that. That is not what anyone is saying. If you say that's what people are saying, you're intentionally talking over the criticism. You're intentionally misinterpreting what is being said. What is being said is that the existence of a trans-inclusive term, which encompasses everyone who has the capacity to get pregnant, doesn't somehow undermine the label of woman. That doesn't make any sense at all. Because to me, effectively what Anna is saying here is that the term homo sapien overrides the term human or somehow having the existence of the term homo sapien diminishes the term human. What we're doing is trying to find an academic, a scientific classification that can be used just as example, every species and every category and family of species has a scientific name attached to them for classification and categorization purposes. And just because these names exist doesn't somehow diminish or disrespect or destroy the term which is colloquially used. For example, everybody calls blue jays blue jays. I just chose blue jays because I love blue jays. I think they're an awesome bird. But in any case, the blue jay has a scientific name, Sinocita cistata, which is its scientific name. And here's the thing, right? That name doesn't undermine the name blue jay, right? The scientific categorization is not somehow like destroying the blue jay name. 
And as much as I and as much as I love Anna and I think she's great, I'm not gonna lie. I do have a little bit of difficulty taking seriously this notion that anybody ever called her a birthing person in some sort of like medical or legal context. I just had a kid here in ultra liberal Canada, and at no point did anybody ever refer to my wife as a birthing person. At no point did the term birthing person ever appear on any federal or provincial piece of paperwork, which was filled out during the process of birth. And that was, that, that was, that was a couple months ago, right? You guys all were all there. You all were well aware of, of what was happening when my son was born. So this is a very recent event. Nothing of that sort happened at all. And here's the issue once again with anecdotal evidence. Anecdotal evidence is always undermined by anecdotal evidence of the opposite, right? So while my anecdotal evidence of this term birthing person not being widespread in a medical or legal sense may not be Anna's anecdotal experience, the issue is, is that it just comes down to our words against each other. There's nothing concrete that we can really grasp onto here. But here's where I'll give Anna a little bit of credit. In the same sense, if somebody was constantly using the term homo sapien instead of human, that would be weird, right? That would be weird in casual conversation if they just kept using the scientific word over and over again. Same in, if someone, instead of saying Blue Jay, just kept calling them Sionita Cristadas. That would be super weird. <laughs> and that would definitely rub me the wrong way in the sense that, yeah, if someone called me a birthing person, a term which is reserved for more scientific medical context, well, someone wouldn't call me that, but you understand what I mean. I'd be like, gets weird right? That is not what is colloquially said. That is not what is colloquially used. And in the same way, like if someone just kept saying the word like homo sapien to refer to all humans, I'd be like, yo, bro, what's going on here? It's weird. Like, why do you keep saying that over and over again? And I'm sure if my wife were referred to as a birthing person during the birth of our son, she'd probably be like, just call me a woman, please. Just refer to me as a woman. And what would happen in that circumstance? the attending physician, nurse, doctor, whatever you want to say, would probably say, oh, okay, I'm sorry about that. And then life would move on. There certainly wouldn't be this tirade of anger and like resentment against like wing people and left-wing ideology that would spew forth from her. So even if it did happen, like this whole going to Twitter and making a big deal about it, just it's a, like I said, it's leaving a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. People got to remember that this is not like a settled debate. This is not a settled in stone word to describe all people with the capacity for pregnancy has not been decided yet by the academic community. They're still working on it, but you got to be real. The term birthing person sounds super awkward and super weird. Why don't, and here's my compromise. Here's me trying to try and find a better solution, right? And this is something I remember back a couple of years ago when they had that the Build Back Better bill in the United States. And I was saying like, guys, Build Back Better is a stupid friggin' name. It's going to tank the bill just based on the name. And people were like, no, 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 it'll be fine. Bill tanked, right? And then they just rename it the Fight Inflation Act, tweak a couple things around the edges, and it passes no problem, despite the fact they didn't change the substance in any meaningful way. What I'm saying is the way you present things and how you choose to name them it certainly matters. So we have all these cool like Latin names for all these like scientific and academic categories and uh, terms. 
So why don't we just keep with that tradition? And uh, the term we should use is the Latin term for birth person, which is navitas persona. Excuse me, nativitas personum. Either way, you know what I'm trying to say here. So a nativitas persona, I think it certainly sounds a little bit more refined, dignified than a birthing person, in my opinion. I love to hear any type of trans people's opinions on this particular issue. My point here being is that we're all for the name. We're all for coming up with some sort of inclusive term here. Let's just try and find a better name because, yeah, the term birthing person sucks. It sucks. It, it, it's not good. I'm sorry. Maybe you could even have an abbreviation. It could just be NP. I know in the medical profession, they have an abbrevi abbreviation PRNs, which is like for, for medication you take on, on demand. And it has some like Latin term that they've just abbreviated to PRN. We could do something here, just abbreviated to NP or something like that. Either way, the point is that this debate is ongoing and acting like it's settled or it's being enforced or anything like that is definitely in bad faith, in my opinion which is that the term birthing person, while I agree is a dumb term, and I think we, I think people in the academic community should try and come up with something different, the, the fact that a trans-inclusive term exists doesn't undermine the term woman, and trying to infer that is the issue. That is what people are upset about. So moving on to the other point, which is that she's effectively giving oxygen to a lot of right-wing talking points, I think what started the secondary tale of the saga will be a good jumping off point. Sorry, guys. I'm just trying to remember exactly where we were. Here we go. Perfect. So here is the other big clusterfuck that she started with this particular tweet. And we'll talk about a little bit what this is in reference to. The civil rights movements did not use the same strategy as the trans movement. They did not barricade speakers that they disagreed with in the classroom for three hours. They persuaded through nonviolence and showing America their humanity. The issue with this is that we only associate the civil rights movement with nonviolence now, with the benefit of hindsight, because they gained traction in society and won. The fact of the matter is that during the actual civil rights era, during that late 60s, early 70s era, America was on freaking fire. It was a very violent time. And this whole sort of idea that everything was like unicorns and rainbows at the time is definitely something put on a civil rights movement from hindsight. But the fact of the matter is the same type of tactics that we call nonviolent used by civil rights activists back in that time, we now call violent when being used by trans activists. Civil rights activists disrupted presentations. They disrupted businesses. They were arrested constantly. These are very common tactics for all civil rights movements throughout the entirety of <laughs> throughout the entirety of human history. One such common tactic being going to places where people who have, let's say, let's just say opinions which are not conducive of civil rights. And one tactic which has been very prominent is going to places where People who were against civil rights were giving speeches, were giving demonstrations and whatever, and disrupting those areas. And here's the thing. If you are giving some sort of anti-civil rights, racist speech, can you really expect 
that African Americans and other minorities won't show up and disrupt that space. And I'm curious to see what you guys think. Do you think that they have a right to be able to disrupt that space when these people are espousing ideas which actively diminish their humanity, which actively diminish their human rights? So do you have the right to disrupt people and fight against people who are advocating for the erasure of your human rights? Yes, I think you absolutely do have that. So what are they talking about in this circumstance? Well, I do definitely think the activists have taken this too far. I understand entirely where the anger comes from, and I understand entirely where the emotion comes from. So what happened here, this is in Australia, Riley Gaines was harassed and barricades herself from transgender rights activists who were yelling at her, swearing at her, that sort of thing. So if you don't know, Riley Gaines is a swimmer who lost to a trans woman in a swimming contest and has been very vocal about not having trans athletes compete in the gender that they identify with because she lost this contest so long ago. But in this case, the instance, I do think that the activist went too far was preventing her freedom of movement. Apparently, she was stuck in a room, barricaded herself in there for three hours and the activists prevented her from coming out to me that is where the line was crossed there's no issue with you protesting the event disrupting the event particularly when she is actively trying to take away your human rights but the point where you're preventing her movement and not letting her leave i think that's again where the line is crossed you should effectively what have happened is you just disrupt the protest and if she's leaving just let her leave let her leave let her go off do her thing that's it you don't need to follow her. You don't need to barricade her or anything like that. So let's move on to a real quick response to Anna from Pudding Person here. Pudding Person is a trans activist, very popular on Twitter. Anna says, let me just make sure you guys can read all that shit for the most part. She says, no, I didn't. You said barricading people who disagree with you is nonviolent. If it were an alt-right group that did that to a trans speaker, I'm sure you'd change your tune. You're dishonest, childish, and batshit crazy. Here's the thing, Anna. <laughs> you, you can just stop. Your point is made without the insults, in my opinion. You can just say, I'm sure you changed your tune, period, full stop. And the same point would have been made. Putting poison responds and says, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but states are currently using violence against trans people. I'm curious as to why you seem to care about the grifter who terrorizes trans people than the trans people who are affected by this legislation and violence. So moving on, says, you don't watch the show, so you have no idea what I talk about or how often I defend the trans. Okay, <laughs> so there's more. I was how often I defend the trans community. I think the fringe shit and activists like you turn the country against people. You're just too stupid to see it. And I think this whole debate about trans people in athletic sports and communities has just really been so ridiculously over-politicized. It's just brutal. Here's the thing. I wish people could talk about this and feel comfortable talking about these complex issues without feeling like it's going to get into this emotional political debate. But the issue we have here is how conservatives will take these kind of small fringe issues on the edge of society and try and use them to widen the gap, continue to widen the gap, till we get to the point where we are now, 
where we see so many anti-trans legislations being enacted all across the United States and the way that the conservatives are able to get their foot in the door and push open this is through these small fringe ideas and then they're able to wedge their self in. So the reason why we have so much trouble talking about these issues is because the moment we try and have like a real honest discussion about where trans athletes fall into sporting events, someone on the, some conservative is going to use that opportunity to rush in and effectively dehumanize and call into question the existence of trans people on a fundamental level. And they're going to use these issues, like for example, that Riley Gaines is, is speaking on to try and elevate their political cause. But putting person's point is effectively, why are you highlighting this one instance, this one instance of maybe trans people going over the line and rather than talking about all these instances where trans people are being dehumanized and, and discriminated against. And I think that's a fair point because by Anna highlighting this issue, she definitely gives oxygen to the right wing in order to let them drive through that wedge. She's opening that wedge for them to drive through. And as soon as they drive through it, here comes the dehumanization. And so I'll end here. So we'll end here on a couple tweet threads here. This is from Aaron Reed. Anna Kasparov of the Young Turks is going full to Lucy Gabbard, arguing that 29 major medical organizations are suppressing anything that questions gender-affirming care and praising noted transphobe Jesse Singel. When will we get why I left the left moment? Here's the tweet being referenced. At Jesse Singal is not a transphobe at all. They just want to suppress anything that questions the safety of puberty blockers slash crass hormones for minors. It's pretty disgusting to say. Fosh responds. The decline has been so crazy. A real gas leak in the studio shit. And then Jobin responds. The progressive right wing grifter pipeline has been working overtime there. And as much as I do think that Vosh is right, his opinions are right on this issue. I do think that there is something to be said about being right. And again, unfortunately, as much as we don't like to accept this fact, the way we present ourselves and the, what we say and how we say it matters just as much as being right. So if you say, if you are right and you say the right things like a complete and total asshole, people aren't going to listen to you just because you're an asshole, just because they want you to be wrong. And it becomes an unnecessary fight for no reason. So I think that some of the language that he has been using against, not helpful, just not helpful. And then the whole thing comes to a head here when Anna goes on a right-wing podcast called Adam and Stitch. I am not familiar with Adam. I followed some of Stitch's work in the past. He actually used to be on my right-wing roster many years ago, but has now fallen off of it. So I'm not really sure what he does or what his main content is. However, I would assume that it's still pretty right-wing, and from what everyone has been saying about this interview, yes, it is still right-wing. But we're not actually going to play this podcast. The, the brutal thing about this podcast is, again, she gives so much oxygen to all of these right-wing talking points, and this is really upsetting a lot of people on the left. And I'm trying to find a way that I can explain this to like a right-wing person so they can like, understand you know, why people are upset at her. Over the years, guys, I have been told many, many a crazy thing to my face by people who are on the right. Everything up to and including Holocaust denial. Yet even I 
am able to give people on the right and people I disagree with enough credit to assume that not everybody on the right believes what this crazy person on the right just told me. That not everybody is a crazy Holocaust-denying neo-Nazi fascist. So in the same sense that people on the right will use authoritarian wokeness and try and paint that as a overarching picture for people on the left, people on the left will use this insidious, brewing neo-Nazism, white nationalist feeling brewing underneath of the conservative movement to paint the entire conservative movement as effectively being friendly to that cohort. I think it's not a smart thing to do. I think we, can, we should leave our extreme criticisms for the real extremists because there are lots of people in the middle who, if we treat them like the extremists, they may become extreme. So I am able to put that aside and save my goose-stepping accusations for the real goose-steppers that I meet. But if I were being intellectually dishonest, I could paint or try and paint the vast majority of the right wing as this type of person. But I'm not going to do that because I actually care about trying to create a reasonable and informative show, which will try and give you some sort of intelligent understanding of what conservatives think and what they feel. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every single right wing person is a goose step and Nazi because it's not true, but those people do exist on the right. And if I were being intellectually dishonest, now imagine that someone, instead of a left-wing person saying that and telling you that this is experience that they had, now imagine that it's a right-wing person, not just any right-wing person. It happens to be a right-wing commentator that you like and admire. And all of a sudden they come out and say, you know what? I just went to this big conservative gathering and everybody was just coming up with these constant neo-Nazi talking points. They're talking about how much they hated gay people and how much they hated minorities and how we got to get rid of them and so on and so forth. And I couldn't believe that this was happening. You would probably get really angry at that person because they're giving so much oxygen to points that people on the left use to attack right-wing people over. And this is what Anna is effectively doing right now. She is giving oxygen to talking points that people on the right use to attack left-wing people over all the time. And one of the things that right-wing people will do is try and create this illusion that there's this enforced authoritarian wokeness that left-wing people want to bring about the world. Let me tell you guys, no one on the left has ever asked me to use the term birthing person. No one on the left has ever insisted that I use the term birthing person. And if they did, it would probably be within their own circles and for their own purposes. They certainly wouldn't want to make this some sort of enforced band-aid that everybody has to talk this way. Because let's be real, like even if somehow we were able to get everybody to use the term birthing person, somehow we're able to convince everybody to, to use this term to be more trans-inclusive, this wouldn't actually change the day-to-day -day lives of the majority of trans people. The majority of trans people would still be in predominantly economic destitute ways. They would still not really be properly recognized by society. They would still be facing major issues to access of care among a myriad of other issues. And here's the thing, people on the left are way more focused on getting that done 
than with these stupid little words, than with enforcing people use these kind of stupid words. And I feel like if Anna were a person who surrounded herself with a lot of left-wing people and talked with a lot of left-wing people, she would know that. And she wouldn't be giving oxygen to these talking points, which are obviously not true. And here in this interview, she says that she doesn't like talking with left-wing people who aren't white because she's afraid she's going to step in it racially. And I don't know, man. Like, here's the thing. I have never had that experience in a left-wing circle in my life. Because here's the thing, right? I'm not approaching it in bad faith. And people could tell that. So if there's a situation where I do quote-unquote step in it, I'll be like, oh, crap. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I apologize. And then we all move on with our lives and, uh, and move on from there, right? I'm not going around like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I might say something that might offend somebody. Oh, my God. Oh, crap. No, again, this is a conservative delusion that they have of left-wing people in their heads. I feel like the only time you would really be worried about that is if you potentially weren't thinking about acting in good faith. And the same goes with people in the LGBTQ plus community, with gay people, with trans people. I've told you guys before that I have a pretty limited face-to-face -face interaction with trans people, although I definitely have had it in the past. Most of them have been through acquaintances and coworkers, but I have in the past misgendered trans people to their face. Because in one point, I knew a person that I used to work with who was assigned female at birth but was actually a trans man and then transitioned during the point where I knew them and when communicating with him there was definitely an adjustment period and there would still be times when I would use the wrong pronouns and what do I do I would say oh crap I'm sorry I didn't mean to do that I apologize and then you know what they would say they'd say it's all cool man don't worry about it because I'm not approaching this in bad faith if I continue to do it over and over and over and over and over again to their face, then even if I did apologize at that point, yeah, okay, I, I can see someone might be getting upset, right? You might not exactly be in good faith here. You know, there's the point where you might want to start calling things into question. But here's the thing. People in minority communities, people in the LGBTQ plus community, trans people, gay people, what have you, they do not care if you quote unquote step in it, unless you are one of those people who is actively trying to dehumanize them or interact with them in bad faith. And listen guys, it's really easy to figure out who those people are. Just in the same way, if you and your friend are razzing each other, maybe using some playful insults or whatever, you know that your friend is in good faith even though he's actually using insulting language. Whereas if someone on the street were to use that language to you, it would be a much different story because they probably aren't using it in good faith because you don't know them and they don't know you. Just don't overthink this kind of shit. There's a way too much overthinking going on with a lot of this stuff. And just not pushing back on somebody's right-wing narratives that are particularly easily falsifiable, I think is a really bad thing to do and indicative of someone who's not talking in good faith you don't accept their frame you bust through it
I think accepting the framing is probably one of the worst things that you can do. Like, I remember a couple episodes when we had our Pride, a couple episodes when we had our Pride-themed episode, someone commented that they were in the LGBTQ plus community and on the left, and the conservatives are right to say that there's all this sexual degeneracy in the community. And my point is, okay, I'm seeing a few red flags here, which may indicate that you might not be exactly as you say you are. Because in that circumstance, why would I accept this framing when there is way more evidence that there is some sort of sexual deviancy happening within the conservative movement than there is anything in comparison to the LGBTQ plus movement? Why would I accept their framing and not attack them over the fact I can point to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conservative politicians who have been convicted of sex crimes, but I'm not going out here and saying that all conservatives are sexual predators or anything like that because I'm an actually intellectually honest human being. Even though I have the evidence here that I could do that, I have more evidence than you do to try and disparage the LGBTQ plus community, in fact. But you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play that game because it is a waste of everybody's time. And here's a little tip for you guys here on the left. If you ever need some evidence, some ammo to point to for sexual deviancy among conservative politicians, look no further than this website here. This website is gppredators.wordpress.com. I know it doesn't look like much, but every time I come here, this number grows. Last time I was here, it was at 1,064. We're now up to 1,104. And I'm not going to go through this all with you guys because it's pretty awful. But you can obviously sort through depending on Prime and whatnot. And the thing is, you can go and you can click on any of these and it will give you news articles. It will give you court documents. It will give you all of those things that you associate with something actually happening. Not something that's like an anecdotal story or anything like that. Anyway, that's just something I like to keep in my back pocket whenever I feel like I need to go on the offensive about someone who really decides that they want to start banging the drum about some sort of sexual deviancy in the LGBTQ plus community or some sort of child exploitation or anything like that. But you guys want to play that game, we're going to win. All in all, I'm pretty disheartened by this whole brouhaha. I don't have any hate for Anna in my heart or anything like that. I tried to be as civil and reasonable as I could with my criticisms as well as trying to explain to people exactly what people are upset about and what it is that she said that is getting people frustrated because I think that there is definitely a lot of dishonest deflection about this issue and people aren't contending with exactly what people are frustrated about with her and that is frustrating and I hope that I could do that today explain that a little bit better to everybody but I don't know what's going to happen here I am not going to say that Anna is right wing I'm not there to say that yet i am very worried about the direction that she's going and i do worry that if people push her she will fall into the camp of the right wing that being said one of the things that does frustrate me is that on occasion it is very rare especially in comparison to the amount of abuse i receive from the right i do receive some disrespect 
from people on the left. It has happened before. But again, the thing is, I don't abandon my principles. I don't abandon what's important to me. And the thing is, I don't think Anna is going to do that either. So what I see happening is she becomes more in line with conservatives on quote unquote social issues and remains pretty staunchly left on economic issues. That's what I see happening, but we'll see. What I really do hope will happen is that everybody can come together. We can have a big hug with everybody involved and have a big kumbaya and, and put it all behind us. But I'm not very optimistic about that happening. Okay, well, with that out of the way, I do have a feel-good story for you guys that I do want to talk about because it does provide a little bit of my expertise and gives me some hope for the future. So today we are jumping in to a story. This is from Electrotech. And this is still, I think, unconfirmed. There's still a lot of buzz around this. That being said, as someone who used to work in the automotive industry, I've been following the automotive industry for many years. I have known that this has been coming for a while. And I'm, fingers crossed, we are finally at that point. What am I talking about? Well, that is the implementation of solid state batteries into electric vehicles. I'm not 100% on the actual chemistry of how it works. But effectively, solid-state batteries are much safer, cleaner, and they take much less time to charge. In addition, they hold a much greater segment of charge. In fact, I believe they can hold up to double what your traditional lithium-ion batteries can. And one of the nice things about these solid-state batteries is that if the lithium and the ion meet in a lithium-ion battery, it explodes. That's why you have so many Teslas explode. In fact, I had a vape pen explode while charging just the other day because I had a lithium ion battery. And in any case, I'm very hopeful that solid state batteries will fix this. And I knew that Toyota was working on this way back in 2015, 2016. I remember hearing that they had invested a lot of money into bringing solid state batteries to their vehicles. And at the time, I remember them saying their ETA was 2020 that these would be more commercially available. <laughs> I guess it took longer than we thought because here we are in 2023 before it looks like we actually have the time that the breakthrough is here. So let us see what exactly we have in store. At a recently held technical briefing, Toyota revealed plans for several new technologies, including next-gen electric vehicle batteries. After discovering a breakthrough, Toyota says it aims to offer solid-state electric vehicle batteries that could potentially offer over 900 miles of driving range. Several Toyota executives spoke at the event, explaining that the lawmakers' upcoming EV tech strategy with are all concepts that are still under development. Although, the governments, although governments and investors are urging Toyota to go all-electric, the Japanese auto manufacturer continues to stick to a hybrid strategy one of the biggest takeaways from Toyota's briefing was the next-gen EV tech. Toyota says it's advancing its efforts to introduce next generation of electronic vehicles in 2026. Oh God, still, still ways away with a range of over, excuse me, with a range of over 620 miles, 1,000 kilometers. The automaker plans to expand its lineup to provide various options to provide buyers with more driving range and lower costs. 
But let's be clear, there's still a lot of bold claims in Toyota's latest briefing. Let's keep in mind that many of these concepts that Toyota is researching and plans to develop are, are developing already. Toyota has consistently made bold claims in the past regarding advanced EV battery tech like solid-state batteries, which is yet to come to fruition, so don't get your hopes up. Yeah, like I said, Toyota has been talking about this and they have been pushing this for many years, but one of the great things about solid-state batteries is that they're coming, and when they do come, they are really going to change the game because they have better, again, they have better range, they charge faster, they're safer. And one of the biggest things here, and a lot of you guys probably don't think about this, but up here in a northern climate, like northern Alberta, when it gets to that negative 30 degrees Celsius, negative 40 degrees Celsius, that cold can wipe out a Tesla's battery by upwards of 30%. So during the winter, <laughs> your already limited range is now decreased by yet another 30% because electronics and cold usually don't get together too often they usually don't work together too well however solid state batteries will actually alleviate this and have the potential to fix this issue so that's a huge huge benefit for me it's part of the reason why i have been dragging my feet on buying an electric vehicle because i know that solid state batteries are coming solid state batteries are in the works i know that they've been coming for quite some time and when I get an EV, I want to make sure that it is a solid state battery vehicle. And hopefully that won't be too much longer. Although from what we're hearing here, it sounds like we still got another couple of years at least before it really comes to fruition. But of course, when solid state does come to fruition, we are going to be revolutionizing battery technology, not just in the automotive industry, but everywhere. And one of the things that really holds back green technology is not necessarily the technical capabilities of solar panels and wind turbines and other types of turbines that use natural energy. It is the storage capacity. It's our battery technology, which is actually lagging behind the rest of our green technology. And hopefully once we get solid state batteries really dialed in, this will finally allow us to really kick off a lot more green technology because we'll actually have reasonable cheap and good storage space for it Whew. and with that i am gonna bring us to the end of our episode this has been another comrade cast successfully completed i hope you guys found this episode interesting talking about a little drama not always my favorite thing to talk about like i said i had other things planned for this episode that being said, I know a lot of people are talking about this and it was a very good opportunity to illustrate some of the concepts that we talked about in the last episode. With that, I hope you guys enjoyed the show and this has been to Comrades on Out for Now. Until next time, you guys take care.